Colossians 3, verse 1, If then, or since then, you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, and not on the things of this earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Father, again, we thank you that because of your plan of redemption and the obedience of your Son and your Spirit working in our lives that we have salvation as we have received Christ. Father, again, we thank you for these marvelous truths that we have been singing about. We thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, that the Lord Jesus is coming back for his own, that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is Emmanuel, as we have just sang, God with us. Thank you that he manifested himself. He showed us who the Father was. Lord, we thank you that you did that. Father, again, we thank you for calling us to yourself. We thank you that we will someday enjoy heaven together. And as this passage just says, help us to set our minds on things above. Help us to set our affections and our hopes and the things that we really count as important, realizing that those things are in heaven. That's where all the things that we have that are precious is. Uh, Father, I just ask that you would give us wisdom as we uh, understand and study your word today. Help us to have lives that are different, that are, that are um, being guided by your word, being guided by these truths. And again, we thank you for just all the things that you're doing in our lives. Thank you even for the struggles, that it's through the struggles and the trials and even the temptations that you are conforming us to the image of your Son, that you are making us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We just know that, as Romans says, all things work together for good to those who love you. And we're absolutely confident of that. So we ask for your wisdom, we ask for your conviction by the Spirit of God in our lives, and if there are things that need to change, that we would decide and determine and commit right now to change those so that you would be glorified through our lives. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Junior church is dismissed. Did they get dismissed? I think that will always be my big question. (laughs) Did junior church get dismissed? We're going to be in different passages today. I I originally told you we'd probably be starting Nehemiah today, but... Probably won't start Nehemiah until after the first of the year, just because you have Christmas, and then next week is a special uh, uh, service with the, the team from Jamaica. By the way, be praying for the team from Jamaica. They're going to be getting on the plane here pretty quick, if they haven't already. Do you know when they get on the plane, Chris? Sometime. <laughs> By the way, this is Mitch and Gina's last week here. So make sure you give them a big hug. A big hug. But they did say that if you ever want to, uh, down in the Carolinas, just visit them and they'll put you up. So don't. <laughs> you know, we live in a crazy world, a chaotic world. We live in a world that does not do what that passage we just uh, read tells us to do, and that is set our minds on things above. We live in a world that knows nothing of heaven. Why don't you think about this? It knows nothing of heaven. Again, the scientific community tells us that the only things that exist are matter and energy. Materialism, not finances. I'm saying that all there is, which you see. Bertrand Russell said, quote, the universe is nothing but a collection of atoms, end quote. That's all there is. You don't go beyond that. Carl Sagan, you remember Carl Sagan? He was many things, he was an astronomer, but he took the biblical phrase and rearranged it like this, quote, the cosmos is all that was and is and ever will be. No, that's wrong. Remember, we said three heavens. 
one that you see the, uh, where the stars are and then where God's home is. No, he was incorrect. Another philosopher, I believe he was, said this, our world, um, excuse me, other world, nonsense. There is no other world. Here and nowhere else is the whole fact. This is all there is. No, that's exactly wrong. And they'll say it this way, well, because I can't see it, I can't feel it, I can't touch it. Well, have you ever really seen electricity? Do you see air? They say with the spectrums of light that our eyes can only behold just a small part of what is out there, that in heaven, with the perfect eyes, you'll be able to see colors and schemes that you've never even dreamt of. But you only see a small part of the spectrums of light at the moment. You see emotions? Well, actually, you do, kind (laughs) of. Married to your spouse, you see an emotion? But you don't see the actual emotion. You see how it's played out. So, no, you you can't just say, well, I I only believe what I can see. By the way, this is what Paul says in Corinthians chapter 4. And you don't have to turn there, but just write it down. It's a... He says, uh, and he's talking about believers, he says, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18, uh, that as believers, we do not look at the things which are seen, and the word is scopio. We get, our, we get like telescope, microscope. We don't look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's interesting because in that context, he started in verse 1 and in verse 16 mentioning that we do not lose hope. This is what I'm trying to get at. That if you look at the temporary world, you will lose hope. If you want to be one who is hopeful, if you want to be one who is uh, the overcomer, the victorious Christian, as we would say, you have to focus on the, on the eternal. You have to focus not on what is temporary, not as what is seen, but what is unseen. You have to. That's actually the context. Otherwise, sometimes it's like a telescope. You know, you'd want to see way out, but have you ever turned it around? You can't see way out then. You've got to look through the right lens. You've got to look through the little one that brings it out, so then you can see the moon. I think sometimes Christians, we're looking at it like backwards. <laughs> and we're so focused on what's happening here, on this little dirt ball. And we've got to say, wait a second here. Eternity and our home is, is in heaven. So don't look through the wrong end of the telescope. Again, we've been studying different aspects. We looked at hell for two weeks. And then the last week we looked at heaven, that it's a place for you. In fact, uh, it's a real place. Jesus in John 14, verse 2 said this, In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. That's what he's getting at. And I go to prepare, what? A place for you. Now again, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if your sins have been forgiven based on his sacrifice on the cross, then heaven is a place for you. We all want to have a place to go that we call home. I was telling you last week, I I love going home. And this week, whereas I went home to my mom's last week, this week for Thanksgiving, we had everybody at our house, right? Or whoever's in this area. And had a niece and nephew from uh, Philadelphia come up and my brother and sister-in-law. And I, I tell you, I, I, am, in, I am enjoying uh, uh, holidays more and more as I get older. I, I guess it's just that I just, I just love, you know, well, the food, but I always did that. But, <clears throat> you know, the people and, just, and uh, just getting connected and watching the young ones run around. And, you know, I would hope that they say, yeah, this is home. But again, this is not even our home. We're just aliens and pilgrims. Someday we'll be in our real home called heaven. We want to know about that. See, that's our future home. That's why, again, Colossians, if you're there, maybe you've turned to Colossians 3. I, I, I'm not going to be here only for a moment, but I want you to see that it says if, if or since, the word if, some, some of your versions would even say since, chapter 3, verse 1. Since you've been raised together with Christ... You know, you've been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Him. Since that's happened in your life, what does it say? Seek. Think about what, you mean, what it means to seek something. By the way, that's an imperative. That's a command. He's telling us to do something that sometimes we forget. 
that it's difficult. It's difficult to seek the things that are above. You got all this static here on this earth. We have all these needs and all these things that have to happen, you know, that, that we feel that has to happen, and many of them do have to happen. But uh, Colossians 3 says, well, if you've really been raised together with Christ, seek. Seek, the idea is this, by thinking and meditating and inquiring into. It has the idea of seek as an aim or a target. It's, the idea is direction. Seek those things which are above. Where what? Christ is sitting at the right hand. And then he says the word set. Now there again, that's an imperative. It's a present imperative. It means that he is commanding us to do it at all times. Seek those things that are above. Set your mind on, or set your affections. I think the King James says set your mind or set your affections. That's more or, more or less location. So he's saying seek direction, set location. Seek heaven, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things that are above. So set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The idea is this. Uh, make sure that your priorities are really heaven's priorities. So it, it, it's, it's wrong to think this way. I've heard this statement. Well, you know, if you're too heavenly minded, you're, too, you're no earthly good. No, that's exactly that. No, no, we need to be heavenly minded. By the way, if you're heavenly minded, you will be earthly good. Because if you're heavenly minded, you're going to know there's a heaven and hell. That God is king. That God is the one in control. That we are simply his servants. It's not about us, it's about him. No, no, we want to be heavenly minded. Because as we're heavenly minded, we are tremendously of earthly good. Because our priorities are going to be where we see people as valuable, not just ourselves. And we're going to be looking at them, family, friends. And you know what? You need the Lord because that's what's going to end. I mean, when it's all said and done, this earth burns up. See, we need to have that heavenly-minded mindset that everything on this earth is going to burn. But our hearts are, are set on what Christ wants and we're, we're servants to Him and we are ministers for Him and we minister the Word to other people and we, we show an example of what God is like. Though imperfect as we are, we're able to give a... This is, this is what our Lord is like, who's perfect. So we set our mind and our heart, our priorities, our values. In other words, what really matters... That's why I think the King James used the word affection. The things that really matter to you. What really matters to you, it should be heaven's priorities, Right? We should be like Abraham in Hebrews. It says this that we do not have a that on this earth we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come, the New Jerusalem. That that was Abraham. He he was willing to leave his country for a better, and that's who we are. We're citizens in heaven. Our hearts are there, really, in the sense. I mean, positionally, we're there. We're seated with Christ in one sense, but yet we're here. So, but our heart, does, does your heart yearn for heaven? You know, I know when I was young, oh, you know, Lord, wait till I get married. Wait till I have children. But you know what? I, I understand that. I understand that in a young man or woman's heart. But the reality is heaven is so much better than anything down here. And heaven is good, or uh, marriage is good. And family is great. Like I said, I love having family come over and stuff but the reality is heaven is so much better jesus said this in matthew 6 20 lay up for yourself treasures in heaven why because where your treasure is what there will your heart be okay see he doesn't want our treasures in heaven in the sense but he knows this that when we put our treasures in the eternal what it would what god considers important our heart follows where your treasure is your heart follows now, what did I just do? I just gave you a number of passages that talked about heaven. By the way, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think it is, this is the percentage. For every three times hell is mentioned, heaven is mentioned once. It's not mentioned that often in comparison to judgment. But you can still see there is a whole lot about heaven, whether it's John 14, whether it's Hebrews, whether it's Philippians 3, whether it's Matthew 6. And then at the end of Revelation, you got a couple chapters. So it is a very, very important subject. And we are told to, to treasure and to fix our hearts and to fix our minds and to fix our gaze, as it were, on the things above. 
Or to say it this way, in reality, everything that is precious to us as Christians is there. I think I might have mentioned that. You know, our home is there. And we looked at that last week. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are there. By the way, the babies that die are there. You know, some of you have had children that either died in the womb or just after. They're there. They are absolutely there. In fact, someday I think I might just do a couple messages on just that. The fact that, because I hear this, you know, well, I don't know if they're alike. What are you, how could Job say, you know, he, he, would, he would rather not be born? Because he knew that if he wasn't born, he would be in heaven. So the point is, is there, there's a number of things, and you know, David, but the point is babies are there. Our names are written there. By the way, you know what's the interesting thing when it says our, you know, his name was on our forehead and our names are written there? A couple passages. Uh, that was actually slave mentality. When it came to a slave, they would often, they would change their name according to whatever, but the point was the master's name was written on the person. Uh, now, now you might say, boy, that sounds harsh. No, no, we've we got to remember that, that much of what the New Testament um, much of the terminology of the New Testament is a slave master mentality. You were bought with a price, that's slave mentality. You were redeemed, redemption, all those different concepts, you know, names written. He is what? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, he came, he came for a people. He came for a people that would be his own, but he still remains Master and Lord and King of Kings. Now again, thankfully, he brought us into his family. We are joint heirs and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We are children of God. Marvelous concepts, but reality is he remains Lord. And we look for the Lord from heaven. And the Lord from heaven is going to bring us to his home. So our brothers and sisters, our names, our reward, our inheritance is there. Peter says to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I should have done some research. How, how long inheritance usually lasts? Like when a person dies, they pass the inheritance to the kids. I think it's like within 18 months, the kids spend it. I think it's something like that. It's really a short amount of time. You know, here's dad and mom trying to save for the kids. And, you know, when they're gone, you almost see the kids. <laughs> and they spend it. But you know what? When it comes to the inheritance in heaven, it's imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. It's forever going to be. But more importantly than even our home and our brothers and our sisters and our name and our reward and our inheritance, our Father, our Savior, the Spirit of God is in heaven. And that's why Jesus said in verse 3 of John 15, or 14, but where I am, there you may be also. That's the primary appeal. That, at least for me, that's the primary appeal. Again, not the streets, not the pearl gates, not the walls, not the, you know, however, 100 miles high and 100 miles wide, the New Jerusalem. What is it, 1500, I think? Um, uh, however, they, I forget it's how they actually wrote it down. But it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Now, again, that hasn't always been. You know, I was pretty curious about some of the gold and silver and precious stones. But boy, as you get older and older in the Lord, it's the Lord. Because you know that when you see him, you're going to be like him. When you see him, the, 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 the stress of the Christian life, the pursuit, the trials, the temptations are done. I can't wait to see him. He, the Father, the Son, the Spirit of God, is why I want to go to heaven. But let's just back up for a moment. I'm going to give you four things. I, I did, that was kind of all intro. Um, because again, I wanted, you, I wanted to establish some things. One is, heaven is talked about many times. Two, many things are precious in heaven. The primary being God himself. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But now let's just back up or let's go to the side and say, okay, but let's look at some other aspects of heaven. Okay, the perfection. The perfection as it pertains to you the perfection of your soul, the perfection of your body, the perfection of the relationships, and the perfection of fellowship. Okay, we're just going to just break these down. Uh, some of them will go quick. Some, but I just want to get, you know, what will you be like in heaven? Okay, because there's always these questions as far as, you know, what will you be like? Well, first of all, a perfected soul. When you get to heaven, you'll be a perfected soul. 
Now again, you go back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sinned, the curse. Everything on this earth is stained by sin. Now just think about that. Everything is flawed. Everything is imperfect, Genesis 3. In fact, no matter how godly you try to be, even after salvation, even after salvation, even after you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you're walking with him in fellowship, even then, we're like Paul that says in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I'm incarcerated in this flesh. And you say, well, was, you know, Paul an adulterer? And, and you, know, what, I mean, you know, was he an immoral, ungodly? Well, he was a blasphemer, an insolent man before salvation. What do you mean? How could he say he's an old wretched man? He's the great apostle Paul. Wrote all the, you know, books of the Bible, you know, that were attributed to him. Because he saw his heart. He saw the motivations, the values, the priorities. And he just said, oh, wretched man that I am. Not only are, is even the Christian is stained by sin, but the entire universe suffers under the effect of sin. And in fact, even the earth, Romans 8.22 says, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains. I'm told that having a child is hard. I won't go there. But birth pains just groans. And yet, Romans 8, just a few verses later, says that he justified us so that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. And we're moving and we're changing. Ephesians 1 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He, being God the Father, chose us in him, being Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. But that's not all happened. We're not blameless. We're blameless as far as our positional righteousness, but we're also very blame as far as our practical righteousness, right? How many of you had to like confess sin this last week? Like 10, 12 times. Like, you know, why am I doing this again? You know, like it was supposed to be a really nice Thanksgiving, but man, that person really irritates me. I don't know, whatever it might be. But he's moving us. He's moving us ultimately to be perfectly holy and perfectly blameless and perfectly in love, in other words, that we can love. 1 John 3 says, Now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And it's not been revealed yet. Oh, just a glimpse. It's neat to see the glimpse, isn't it? You know, you go back to your life and you say, Man, look at what I was. By the way, that's important. That's one of the reasons why it's important sometimes to keep a journal. I'm not saying every day, but boy, it's neat to when you look back and you say, man, I remember when I struggled with, when I was dealing with, when I was thinking that, acting that way, whatever, because that's encouraging. See, what Jesus said in Revelation 21, verse 5, he proclaims, behold, I will make all things new. Now, what is he referring to? He's referring to his believers his servants, his children, make them new, but also the new heaven, the new earth. Everything is going to be new. Everything. That's why the old passes away and the new comes. And then he says this in Revelation 21, 5. Write these words. Write, for these words are true and faithful. I will make all things new. And you can write it down, and it's true and faithful. Now, isn't that a hope that I want? <laughs> yes. By the way, does that give me energy to live holy now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's, that's my goal. That is what his goal is for me. As one man wrote, heaven, the perfect place for the people made perfect. He goes on, perfection. The goal of God's sanctifying work is in us. It's, it is not merely making us better than we are. He is conforming us to the image of his son. As much as glorified humanity can resemble incarnate uh, exalted deity, we will resemble our Lord. He is making us fit to dwell in his presence forever. The utter perfection of heaven is the consummation of our salvation. It is the purpose for which he chose us before the foundation of the world. That's the, I mean, it's, 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 it's what we think and so much more our perfection. That's the perfect soul. 
Now again, that started from the inside out. It wasn't like we were going towards perfection outside in. It's inside out. First of all, the Spirit of God actually brings you to life so that you would understand and that so that you would have conviction. Now this happened way before your salvation. The Spirit of God is working. He's working in your life and he's bringing you to life because you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And he brings us along and that truth now can hit our heart and we can understand. And he gives us, it says in Ephesians, faith. And it says in 2 Timothy, repentance. In other words, he gives us everything that is needed so that as we see Christ and understand what he did on the cross for us, that we have the faith to believe, the repentance to believe, and we embrace Christ. And that's called justification. He declares us righteous. And in the sense of righteousness, that's positional. That's where you all are if you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now. You're justified. You're positionally righteous. But then something else is happening in our life. We are becoming more and more sanctified. Oh, we stumble. Right? We stumble over and over again. We stumble. Sometimes the same sins, some new sins. I thought I was dealt with that. I thought that was five years ago. I didn't think I had to deal with that again. But that goes from positional righteousness to practical righteousness. That's what you're dealing with right now, practically. Walking with Jesus, being like him. But someday, heaven, that's perfect righteousness. So you have justification, declared righteous, then you have positional righteousness, sanctification, but someday it's going to be perfect righteousness. Totally made perfect. And when we made perfect, let me give you some things that that includes. We have a perfected, obviously, soul. We lose all trace of human fallenness. But when we're there, we have perfect comfort. Perfect comfort. Now, as we looked at hell a few weeks ago, hell, think of the words that describe hell. Torment. Suffering. Burning. Pain. Darkness. Total darkness. Banishment. Isolation. Unending anguish, unending sorrow, anger, gnashing of teeth as we're referring to, rejection, abandonment, hopelessness. Like I said, gnashing of teeth. I mean, it's just so bad and so much more. And then ultimately, the person goes from Hades to hell in the sense of having a, a destructible body that will never destruct. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just so... It, it, it's so Sad. Well, when I say destructible, I mean indestructible in the sense it will have the feel and it will have the hurt, but it will never actually go into annihilation. I mean, that's what hell is. But in heaven, we will never experience one uncomfortable moment. Now think about that. How many uncomfortable moments we experience now, and yet in heaven there's none. Remember what, then this was just the... Uh, Hades. Remember Abraham said, son, this is a, um, a rich man in Lazarus. It says, on earth you were comforted, but he was afflicted. Now you, now you are in torments, and he is comforted. He is comforted. Lazarus would comforted. Why? Because he was in Abraham's bosom. See, hell is agony. Heaven is eternal comfort. Now you say, but it says that the tears will be wiped away. What? Where are the tears? Now some have said, well, the tears, tears. Why is there tears in heaven? At least at the beginning, because they're wiped away and then no longer. But why? Well, I would say maybe it's because, you know, the tears of expecting to see certain people there, but not. But, but I don't think that's the real reason. I think the tears are wiped away ultimately, but I think they're generated by this. Because I think the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a picture of what could have been. Of what could have been. In other words, what could have been as if we had walked with him stronger. If we had allowed his spirit to fill us more consistently. If we walked with him, and as the Bible says, be filled with him and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If we had truly been in fellowship with him, this is how much more could have been. We all will be rewarded. I believe we all will be rewarded as believers. But what could have been may be the reason for the tears. And then he wipes them away. But by the way, we're still in heaven. <laughs> perfect comfort, perfect peace. That's another element. Isaiah says there's no peace for the wicked. And yet we find in Romans 5 that we've been justified by faith and we have what? Peace with Peace with God. 
We've been, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have, we've been, uh, again, there's no longer uh, a warring faction between us and him. By the way, that's how reconciliation happens. He brings, he brings us to him. So we have peace. And then we can even have a semblance of peace. Philippians 4 says, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication, what? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God. Now, by the way, Romans says that we have peace with God. Philippians says we have the peace of God. That peace will be in our lives. Jesus says, um, my peace I leave with you. But think about this. When we get to heaven, now think about this. We've been experienced peace with God. We have the peace of God. But that's momentarily. We don't always have peace with God, or peace of God. You might be here today and you don't have the peace of God in your life. You're, <sighs> I'm a Christian. I have peace with God. But there's these circumstances, these issues, in my, and that's that person or that circumstance that's just really kicking the slats out of peace with, you know, the peace that I could have. So peace of God is momentary, but there comes a time when we're in the presence of the Prince of Peace, and it will be perfect peace in heaven. No more of the struggles. So we have perfect comfort, perfect peace, perfect pleasure. Psalm 16, in your presence is full of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. By the way, pleasures because we're in the presence of God. Not pleasure driven by lust. Sometimes we have pleasures on this earth, but they're based off of lusts and desires that we have. But here, it's because we're in the presence of God. We're able to glorify God, therefore, perfectly. We're able to enjoy Him perfectly forever. That's why we have perfect pleasure. It's the high calling of man to be able to enjoy God. How about uh, the fourth one, perfect knowledge? Corinthians 13 says, but then I, sh- then I shall know just as also I am known. Again, we will know comprehensively. Uh, we will know comprehensively and be known Comprehensively. Not at, by the way, that's not omniscience. I believe we're always learning, but I think, I think maybe uh, even like this. Think of it this way. Uh, the questions of life will be answered. I think when we get to heaven, a lot of the questions of life will be ha- answered. The ones that are important, at least. We're not going to have any unanswered questions. No confusion, no ignorance, no more need to walk by faith. Why? Because we're going to be walking by sight at that point. We're going to see him as he is. And then we also have perfect love. 1 Corinthians, uh, the next verse says, Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Why is it the greatest? Why is love the greatest? Faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. Why is love considered the greatest? Well, when we're in heaven, all that we have laid hold of by faith will be ours to enjoy, but we're no longer walking by faith. It's been swallowed up by sight, as it were, if you want to say it that way. Right? We've had faith in God the Father, faith that heaven is a place, faith in our salvation, faith in our Savior. It's all going to be realized. So, in that sense, faith is no longer. And then there's hope. But our hope, that confident expectation, will be realized. In heaven, you don't have to hope, you're there. So, like Romans 8 says, but hope that is seen is not hope. But why does one still hope for what he still sees? You don't have to hope once you see. So, Faith is no longer necessary. Uh, Hope is no longer necessary in heaven. But in heaven, love is still there. And not only will you be loved perfectly like you are now by God, but you will be able to love. See, you'll be loved and love perfectly. So in heaven, we can love. It's eternal. That's why it's the greatest. It's not like now. See, now we love, but we love with strings attached, don't we? You know, like if I invite them over, maybe they'll invite me to their house. Or we try to get our spouse to do something, and we show love, but really we have ulterior motivation. Strings attached. And we manipulate. Sometimes we show our love, but our love is really nothing more than a counterfeit for selfishness. You know. But, but when we're there in heaven before our Lord... We will be loved perfectly, and we will love perfectly. And then finally, perfect joy. Unending joy. By the way, that's a fruit of the Spirit. 
And the Spirit of God will be there and giving us complete, unending joy. By the way, joy is not connected to circumstance. <clears throat> Here or there, obviously, all the circumstances will be perfect. By the way, on this earth, you know, when we talk about joy, it seems like it's always still mixed with other things, right? You can have joy for the moment, but then it's mixed with sorrow, at times with hurt, at times with anguish. <laughs> I mean, it's never, you know, or as one person said, the sin, grief, sorrow inevitably dampens our happiness. No matter how much we, oh, Lord, it's so good to walk with you. You know, you're in prayer. You're doing your time with the Lord, as it were, if you want to say it that way. In other words, you're in communion with him in the morning. And you think, man, this day is going to be great. And then you get a call and whatever. And it's just like jilt, you know. And what you had so good just 20 minutes ago now has been jilted. Heaven won't be jilted. In fact, Jesus referred to that in Matthew 25. Remember the, um, the parable where the man goes to a long journey and gives his servants, one he gave five talents, one, two, one, one, and then he comes back and has an, uh, an evaluation, as it were, and, and the five said, hey, I, I, uh, I did what was right, and I gave you five more, and two, and two, and one. Well, he's a, I think he shows an unbeliever. But this is, what the, this is what the Lord says about that master to his servant. He says, because you, got, you had five and you got five more, because you had two, you got two. And this is what he said to both the one that had five and two. So he said it twice. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, I, I find that ent- interesting because he's saying enter, because at the very beginning of this parable, he said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is light. The kingdom of heaven is like, like a man leaving, giving uh, uh, responsibilities, i.e. talents, and then afterwards being rewarded, enter into the joy of your Lord. There again, that servant-master relationship. But, but again, we see in uh, heaven you're going to have uh, joy, unending joy. Enter in the joy of your Lord. So, heaven is a place of never diminishing, unending joy. Heavenly perfection is never altered and never changed. I think there's a consistency. I mean, I think that's what Scripture talks about. So we have a perfected soul. And I know I took a long time with that, but I wanted just to kind of give you a glimpse. That should, that should uh, uh, fortify and solidify your heart here on this earth. Yeah, you know, there's, there's hurts and issues and trials and temptations, but heaven is a better place. Heaven is a wonderful place. No. <laughs> okay, second thing, a perfected body. That's what we mean by glorification. Again, God made man both body and soul. I'm a, by the way, dichotomous. I believe there's the immaterial and the uh, material part of man. When we die, there's a separation. The soul is with the Lord. Uh, people have asked me over the years, you know, what happens to the person when they die? Is there an intermediate state? And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, no. Absent from the body, what? All right, so souls with the Lord. Our spirits with the Lord. But the body remains here. We're waiting for the day of resurrection. But again, everything will be made new. There's, going to be, there's coming a day when we get a new body. By the way, a new body is needed because if Jesus makes a new heaven and a new earth, it's imperative that there's a new body so that we can enjoy the new heaven and the new earth. So again, that's called the perfected body, glorified body. There's a necessity because now the spirit and the soul is separated. By the way, the unbeliever will also get a body, but it's a body of corruption. In fact, Jesus said that in John chapter 5. He said, the hour is coming, verse 28, in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and and come forth. Those who have done good, i.e. believers, to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil, i.e. unbelievers, to the resurrection and condemnation. Every person that who has ever lived will get a body. It's just whether it's going to be a glorified, perfected body or a body of corruption. By the way, these are huge truths, right? It's not like you just live your life and yeah, it doesn't matter if I believe or not and you know, it'll all work out in the end. No, no. There's judgment 
there is judgment with a body, and then there is a penalty whether or not a person has received Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when I uh, preached this a few years ago, I had two pages on just the body. I decided to basically mark that off today. I just knew I wouldn't have time. Just kind of touching on I might get into it next week. I've kind of thought I might, but we'll see. Because the Jamaican team is going to, by the way, have about 15 minutes next week of the service here to share everything that they've done uh, that w- the Lord did through them as far as in Jamaica. So I'm, I'm not sure if that's going to fit. But if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, this is the definitive chapter on bodily resurrection. This is the chapter as far as getting a glorified body. If you go to verse 42, it says this, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Now again, in the context, Paul is talking about believers. He's talking about... He'll, Uh, Other passages talk about unbeliever, but this is the believer. But notice the four things about the believer's body. Verse 42, second part. The body is sown in corruption. What do you mean corruption? It deteriorates, it gets sick, finally it dies. But it is raised in incorruption. Never to get sick again. Never to decay again. Never to permanently, uh, you know, excuse me, uh, never to to have... uh, all the health issues, but it's going to be permanently, eternally well, as it were. So it, it was um, sown in corruption, it was raised in incorruption. Verse 43, it was sown in dishonor, it was raised in glory. What do you mean dishonor? No more shame of sin. See, this old body, this, and I always want to say this, our spirit that's been redeemed already is incarcerated in the flesh. And our body and the impulses of our body not makes us, but really pushes us to do some very wicked things. Right? And yet, that shame will no longer, that dishonor will no longer because we're going to reflect the glory of God. That's what he means by raised in glory. Second part of 43, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. No longer are we frail, frail to do our temptations, but... We have power to accomplish. And, and by the way, that power also is the ability. It's just, it's a spiritual body, which we see next. And it, like one guy said, you know, like in the New Jerusalem, it's hundreds and hundreds of miles wide and high. And, and apparently the way it kind of plays out is this, like, uh, I want to be over there. <laughs> you know, it's not like you have to walk. Apparently you'd be able to go through walls. That's what we saw. See, we see a number of things with Jesus. And yet you could identify the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew who he was. So apparently we keep our identity in heaven. See that in a moment. And then it finally, verse 44, it was sown, as a, in a, uh, sown a natural body, it has raised a spiritual body. No more limits. No more limits of time or space. And just, um, and by the way, who gave us all this? Verse 45. The first Adam was a living being, being the last Adam being Jesus Christ himself. It was a life-giving spirit. It was the Lord himself that gave us not only redemption, but also glorification. And, and I know I just, I just, I took, like I said, about two pages and just condensed it, but I, I just want you to know that with a perfected soul comes a perfected body. Now you might say, well, I don't like my body. You mean I'm stuck with this for eternity? Like this is good news? I didn't say you were stuck with your body. I said you were stuck with your perfected body and I, I don't understand how all that plays out you know do babies stay babies and they grow do babies are you know I don't know I don't understand but I would say this does God do things perfectly so I'll trust him you know those final 30 pounds will come off <laughs> how about perfected relationships number three perfected relationships big question will I be married in, uh, in heaven Will I have the same spouse in heaven? You know, man, I love her. I truly love her. You mean, am I going to have Sola? Well, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. The, the answer is no. Which for some people is a relief. No. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. By the way, 1 Corinthians 7 is, uh, 
is talking about marriage. He says in verse 1, that's good to marry. Um, I mean, it's not good to touch a woman in an immoral way, but uh, because of sexual immorality, get married. And the husband's body is the wife's, the wife's is the husband's. And don't deprive yourself, verse 5. But look at verse 7. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. And what he's getting at is, you know, there's a gift of singleness, and Paul says, hey, I wish everyone was in my state where they didn't have to have a spouse. And he, he's not saying it because that's less spiritual. He's saying because it takes time. And he's just saying, I can put my total focus on the Lord's work because I don't have a spouse. By the way, they do take time. Good. I like taking time. But the reality is they take time. And there's extra burdens associated with being married. And then you have children, and that's another... And I'm saying it's a good burden, but it is, right? It takes a lot of work. If you have children and you don't think it's taking a lot of work, you're not doing a very good job. It takes a lot of work. And so that's really all Paul is saying in verse 7. You know, he said, I wish they all men were like, even as I myself, but each one has a gift from God. Some have a gift that's called singleness, and some have a gift called sola, <laughs> the wife. Okay? You all have a gift. Now, if you go to verse 29, you just kind of get the, and he deals with some marriage issues, but look at verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, uh, even those who have wives should be as those who had none. And he's getting at something, and it's found in the very end of verse 31. For the form of this world is passing away. That's the context of these verses. And so he's saying this, you know, wives, yeah, but it's only temporary. How about those who weep? Verse 30, as though they did not weep. Why? Because weeping is temporary. There's no tears in heaven. And rejoicing, even earthly joy, as though they did not rejoice. And that's temporary. And look at this last one. Those who buy, as though they did not possess. And those who use this world, as not misusing it. And so what is he getting at? In fact, John MacArthur in his notes had an interest. He said this, Paul is teaching that marriage should not at all reduce one's devotion to the Lord and to his service. See, marriage, temporary. Weeping, temporary. Joy, temporary. All the things of material, the things that you can enjoy on this earth, temporary. So don't let any of those things hamper you from truly serving the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I'll throw in another one. Don't let your children, your kids, hamper you from serving the Lord. I, I get very concerned when a couple is focused and then they have one, two, three children and all of a sudden you almost see them drop off the earth for a number of years because children took priority. Actually, that's what this passage is talking about. Don't let anything take priority as far as serving the Lord. So what do I do with the kids? Bring them along. You want to disciple them properly? Show them how dad and mom do it. Don't make an excuse. Because again... Uh, this earth is very short, this time on this earth. But again, heaven is very long. So don't allow any of these things to excuse, be an excuse for not serving the Lord. Keep his priorities your priorities. But he did say the wives should be as though they are none. By the way, you say, well, you haven't convinced me. Go to Matthew 22. Go to Matthew 22 quickly. I see I'm going to run out of time here. Matthew 22. The Sadducees come to the Lord... By the way, the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees did believe in a resurrection. The, the Pharisees thought that, um, you know, you would be married in heaven. The Sadducees, because they didn't believe in resurrection, thought you wouldn't have a marriage because you're not even resurrected. And they came to him, verse 23, Matthew twenty-two, twenty-three, And they came to him and asked, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, has, has no children, his brother should marry his wife and raise up offspring. And he basically gives a scenario. The first guy dies... Then the wife goes to the second man, third, fourth, fifth, and you say, what is he, she being passed around for? It was, like a, it was called a Leviate uh, marriage. The idea was this, bring up seed so that the land stays in the family. That's what it really all had to do with. So they give them this scenario, and they say, well, but in heaven, uh, verse 28, therefore in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. In a very godly sense, by the way. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing, that script not knowing the scriptures, 
nor the power of God, for in, in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels. What do you mean they're like the angels? Well, angels don't get married. They don't procreate. So in heaven there's no procreation. There's no marriage. There's no need. See, on earth there's a need. A man needs a helper. A woman needs a protector. And the two need to have children. I mean, that's how God designed it. But again, in heaven, none of those things are necessary. He doesn't need a helper. He's, he's in, before the Prince of Peace. And she doesn't need a protector. He's the Prince of Peace. And there's no need for children to be born in heaven. So there's, marriage is passing away. By the way, it also means... Um, I would also say this, and you keep your gender. Some have said, well, like the angels, like they were genderless. Actually, they, they're, they're seen as male. And I believe in heaven you will keep your gender. It's not some, you know, neutral, like everyone looks the same. Again, you, apparently you are recognizable. In fact, that brings us to the second. Will we really know and recognize each other? In other words, do we keep our earthly relationship? Let me just read a few verses. Matthew 8, verse 11 says this. Many will come and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Well, how could you sit down with them unless you recognize them? Um, Mount of Trans Transfiguration. Uh, the Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John identified what? Moses and Elijah. They had identity. It wasn't like some, like, I'm not sure who these guys are. Uh, rich man and Lazarus. <laughs> identity, there's identity. You see this consistently, there's identity, not some generic. But, as one author said, in perfect form. I don't like who I look like. No, perfect form. So apparently you're recognized. And then finally, third question, will I be reunited, reunited with my family and friends? Well, think of 1 Thessalonians 4. Comfort one another with these words. You know what I'm talking about? First, you know, talking about the rapture? Comfort one another with these words. And I think the idea of comfort is pointing toward the fact of someday having a reunion. That's why you can comfort. If it was like this, and they're dead, and you'll never see them again, and they're just... And comfort one another with these words. No. The idea of comfort is that you will see them again. And you will recognize them. And that's why heaven is one big reunion. Because everyone there belongs there. I like what uh, W.A. Criswell, uh, the, the, the pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, he said this. You know, someone asked him this question. Will we know each other when we get to heaven? His answer was this. We won't really know each other until we get to heaven. Because then everything is perfect. See, then there's no issues of, you know, vulnerability, and I don't really want to share this, and what if they found out that about me? There's going to be perfect transparency because we have been perfected. Final, perfect fellowship. Perfect fellowship. With God and with his people. I liked what uh, John Newton the author of Amazing Grace, probably one of the best of all hymns, right? This is what he says. When I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders. The first wonder will be to see many there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people whom I expected to see. But the third wonder and the greatest of them all is to find myself there. Yep. Perfect fellowship with God. First John says this, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And He has brought us into fellowship. And as we walk with the Spirit, as we're filled by the Spirit, we can be in fellowship. But it's like this, dot, dot. It's momentary. At times it goes like this, but there's always times of sin where we break fellowship. But again, in heaven, perfect fellowship. Not only that, but it's perfect fellowship with Abba. Oh, we, we, have, we understand that fatherly, tender with the Father, but it's still broken. It's like 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know and also be known. 
We read it earlier. But that's right. It's just like dark. Yeah, we, we keep getting glimpses. We have the uh, guarantee of the Spirit. We have, you know, we have like a taste of heaven, don't we? Like you get together and have deep fellowship and that's a taste of heaven. You come and you worship and a truth really hits your heart. That's a taste of heaven. But there's going to be coming a day when it's a consistency. And we'll know him face to face. In fact, it says this, that in Revelation 21, verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. God will be with them. He will be their God. In fact, the end of Revelation 22, verse 4 says, They shall see his face. Nobody ever saw his face in the, you know. It was Jesus we saw, but that was even a veil through flesh. Someday we're going to see God as who he is in his brilliance. In fact, I wasn't even sure if that's correct, but that is exactly, it's Revelation 22, verse 3. It says it. Remember the Israelites? They go into the Holy of Holies. No, they didn't go into the Holy of Holies. They went in all the time, though, right? No, they didn't. Oh, no, one time a year, the high priest went in. He couldn't sit. He offered, he got out of there. Now, think about that. Because that's where the presence of God was represented. That's where he was. But we're going to be in heaven, able to enjoy him forever and be able to actually see him face to face. I, um, true story. William M. Dyke, he was a young man who became blind at, at a very, very young age of 10. Despite his handicap, he grew to be very intelligent, witty. He was a handsome man. While attending graduate school in England, William met the daughter of an English admiral. The two soon became engaged. Though never having seen her, because again, he was blind, William loved her very, very much. Shortly before the wedding, at the insistence of the admiral, the coming father-in-law, William submitted to a special treatment for his loss of eyesight. Hoping against hope, William wanted the gauze, gauze from his eyes removed during the ceremony, during his wedding ceremony. He wanted the first thing he saw to be his wife's face. As the bride came down the aisle, William's father started unwinding the gauze from around his head and his eyes. Still not knowing if the operation would be a success, though. With the unwrapping of the last circumference, William looked into the face of his new bride for the very first time and said this, you are more beautiful than I ever imagined. Can you imagine that? True story. Like that young groom, though, we will never have, we've never seen Jesus Christ, but someday he's coming and he's calling us to himself and we will see him face to face and we'll be like him, just like that. Like this, bah, gone and you see him and all of a sudden you are perfected and you're in his home. So again, as we stand right now, let's stand and, and worship him. I trust that these truths of heaven will just well up in your heart and you'll say, Lord, help me to worship you in such a way that is worthy of you. Amen. <laughs> but you still say, boy, there's still more questions I have. There's still, why didn't he give us more about our home? Probably like this, the old uh, preacher Vance Habner, he was an old country preacher, but very profound, very profound. He said, this is why the Bible, probably by God, hasn't given us more information about heaven. I think one reason illustrated by a story of a boy sitting down to a bowl of spinach when there's a chocolate cake at the end of the table. He's going to have a real rough time eating that spinach when his eyes are on the cake. And if the Lord had explained everything to us about what's ours to come, I think, I, I think we'd have a rough time with our spinach down here. And perhaps that's why. We know that it's going to be perfect because we can trust him. We already have for our salvation. But we don't know all the particulars. We just have a glimpse. But again, I trust that, uh, as Colossians says, that you will set your mind, set your affections on things above. Because if you want to run this race strong and not grow weary, you got to scope, right? you got to set your heart and your mind and your values on things to come. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you that through your word we 
we have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that is still carrying their, their burden of sin, still under the wrath, your wrath, that today might be their day of salvation, that they would understand that Christ paid it all, paid for every one of their sins, and that they can be forgiven and they can be brought into your family. Father, for those of us who have received Christ, may the eternal truths, the spiritual truths of heaven and all that it contains, more importantly, the Lord Jesus Christ is there, you're there, the Spirit of God is there, that that would be what would be driving us, that we would set our affections on things above. May it truly change our life here on this earth as we are focused on heaven, even though as we have to eat our spinach, we know that the best is yet to come. And so remind us of this often, especially we who are going through perhaps deep trials, that we would stay focused and faithful on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just guide us now for your honor and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.